The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offers the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the Cinema Gold Show. I'm your host, Larry Lease. Today we're diving into the latest box office news, movie news, and streaming news from around the industry. Welcome to the Cinema Gold Show. I'm your host, Larry Lease. And on today's episode, we dive into the box office report and give our review of Strange New Worlds Episode 8 and the Kenobi Finale Review. But before we dive into today's topics, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Pondex, for sponsoring this episode. If you're looking to grow your podcast and engage with your audience, you want to check out poddex.com. Use the promo code Larry21 for 10% off your order. We also have merch available. Check it out today. The link to our store will be in the description. And of course, you have a couple more days to enter our Fandango gift card giveaway. The link to the giveaway will be in the description. And now on to our first topic. After a back-and-forth battle over the weekend, the final box office numbers are saying Elvis has brought the house down. 
as the number one film on the domestic charts. The $31 million debut of Elvis was just enough to sneak past the $30.5 million that Maverick made in its fifth weekend of release. The initial Sunday estimates had both films earning $30.5 million, but the actual tally for Elvis was determined Monday to be just over that $31 million mark. Elvis is the second biggest opening of director Baz Luhrmann's career. Following behind the $50 million, The Great Gatsby most upon its 2013 premiere. It's an impressive debut for Elvis, given the crowded summer marketplace, especially when considering the film was playing in less theaters than both Top Gun and Maverick in Jurassic World Dominion. Dominion was being shown in more than 4,200 theaters. Maverick played in nearly 4,000, leaving Elvis just 3,900 theaters across the country. Still, the biopic was able to hold off two of the biggest blockbusters of the summer. And the reception to Elvis may bode well for its staying power. The, the film received an A- cinema score and is sitting favorably at 78% on Rotten Tomatoes. The two and a half hour runtime of Elvis could limit its earning potential, but it's off to a great start as the summer movie season continues to roll on. Looking at the rest of the top five, Top Gun Maverick actually jumped back up to the number two spot after falling to third place last weekend. Maverick continues to hold extremely well, falling just 32% to push its total domestic gross to more than $520 million. It's also the first film of the year to cross the $1 billion mark worldwide, joining Spider-Man No Way Home as the only billion-dollar grocer since the pandemic. The Top Gun sequel has been a phenomenon ever since its release, and is showing no signs of slowing down anytime soon. I do regret not watching it in IMAX, though. So hopefully they'll bring it back to IMAX. That'd be really nice. One film that may be slowing down is Jurassic World Dominion, which fell behind Elvis and Tom Gunn to finish in third place with $26 million. Dominion has dropped more than 50% in each of the past two weekends and stands with a domestic total just over $300 million. The third film in the Jurassic World series is starting to lag behind its predecessors and is in danger of falling short of the $417 million grossed by Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. At the moment, Dominion has only outpaced Jurassic Park 3 and The Lost World Jurassic Park when looking at the franchise as a whole. Audience fatigue seems to have set in for Jurassic Park, which means it may be time to put the dinosaurs to sleep for a little while. Which, me personally, for Jurassic World after watching it, it's really a film. It wasn't bad. It wasn't great. But it's one of those films, I don't think you really need to watch it in movie theaters. Like, it's, if you have a decent setup at home, It'd be an enjoyable movie to watch on the big screen at your house, on your TV, with your own food. But, need we move on? Rounding out the top five, Scott Derrickson's The Black Phone debuted at number four with a $23 million opening weekend. Lightyear came in fifth at $17 million. For the top five films of the weekend grossing more than $20 million, the box office is continuing to show strong signs of recovery following the effects of the pandemic. Heading into July, new releases such as Minion, The Rise of Gru, Thor, Love and Thunder, and Nope should continue the strong momentum that's been building over the last few weeks. And now on to our review of Strange New Worlds, Episode 8. It's the, episode 8 could be, and probably is, the silliest and most over-the-top episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. 
but it also may be the most heartbreaking. One of the downsides of our current era of peak prestige TV is the assumption that in order to be good, something must also be deadly serious. This seems to be doubly true if we're talking about a genre property, which these days tend to be peppered with bleak, grimdark depictions of authoritarian military regimes, insidious robot overlords, or widespread climate disasters. Even Star Trek hasn't been immune to this trend in recent years. Both Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard have certainly shown us future that don't always entirely feel compatible with more lighthearted optimism of Gene Roddenberry's original vision for the franchise. Thank goodness for Star Trek Strange New Worlds. As an episode, the Elysian Kingdom is a bittersweet tragedy, as well as an hour that will have major emotional ramifications for the Doctor for the rest of the series. Yet it's also completely ridiculous and a ton of fun to watch, even as it hides its darkest twists in a sparkly candy-coated wrapper and essentially erases the memory of what Dr. M. Benga sacrifices in the name of the daughter he loves. The Elysian Kingdom is certainly the silliest episode of Strange New Worlds has yet done, involving everything from major cast members recasts as fairy tale figures from popular children's books to actual sword fights in supposed magical forests that are essentially hallways dripped in plastic ferns from Party City. And yet it's also one of the season's most emotionally gut-wrenching hours. As the doctor says goodbye to the daughter he has fought so hard and risked so much to try to save. The basic premise behind the hour is fairly simple. On a routine survey of the Genesian Nebula, the Enterprise finds itself mysteriously stuck and unable to leave. What follows is the series' first real Mbenga episode, in which the ship is somehow transformed into the setting of the children's book he regularly reads his daughter during her brief interludes outside the pattern buffer. It's called, you guessed it, the Elysian Kingdom. The Enterprise's chief medical officer seems to be the only person who hasn't been changed by it, despite the fact that he's also the only one that knows the story. The most entertaining part of the hour is the gusto with which Strange New World's cast fully embraces the weird new fairy tale figures they're all playing. Pike is now King Ridley's most of Chamberlain, a shift that allows Anson Mount to indulge his most ridiculous eye rolls and display surprisingly sharp comedic timing. Ortegas is the kingdom's most bellicose knight who truly just wants something, anything to behead. Leon is a flighty, sparkly dress-wearing princess who carts around a purse, dog-dressed <clears throat> in a matching outfit. Chapel is a sort of medieval-looking hedge witch, while Spock is full-on Lord of the Rings-style wizard. Yahura gets to rock a fabulous evil queen ensemble that, if there is any justice, will inspire cosplayers everywhere next convention season. Almost every major cast member gets to play wildly against type, from the hilariously rivalry between Ortega's and Pike's characters to Leon's helpless princess act. But as fun as it is watching the Enterprise crew essentially act out a Dungeons and Dragons campaign, eventually we learn, thanks to an assist from Hemmer, who's also apparently immune to the strange events going on thanks to his heightened telepathic abilities, that a strange and identified entity is controlling the ship. A consciousness without a body. This is this being is apparently not just proof of the validity of the Boltzmann brain thought experiment, but a lonely, godlike figure who finds a kindred spirit in the mind of the doctor's daughter, who has spent so long trapped alone in the transporter pattern buffer. 
Heartbreakingly, it has tried to not just befriend her, but give her the power to tell the story she has always wanted, allowing her to shape the reality of the Enterprise to mirror the world of her favorite book. It's strangely kind and vaguely horrifying. The idea that the Doctor is ultimately faced with the choice between letting his daughter go to go to live a life free of disease and pain or keeping her near him in the hopes that he might someday be able to find a cure for her is both utterly classic science fiction and the literal stuff of fairy tales. Myths and folklore are full of impossible choices like this, where getting the thing you most long for often means you can never see it again. Magic, after all, always comes with a price. Babs hasn't had a ton, hasn't had a ton to do on Strange New Worlds as yet, but the Elysian Kingdom more than makes up for that and proves he's as capable as any other performer on the canvas. Definitely mixing overprotective father vibes with both sorrow and heartbreak. Through the first eight episodes of this series, the Doctor's arc has been generally defined by his daughter, from the basics of keeping her alive and her existence hidden to the constant search for something that might cure her. What does he do now? Who is he if he has to figure out a way to be happy on his own? So I leave this episode with a 5 out of 5 star rating. It was a really enjoyable, yet silly episode. Let us know in the comments section below, what did you think about the episode? And of course, please hit that subscribe button if you enjoy our content. And hit the bell notification button to be notified of future videos. And as always, smash that like button. And now on to our review of Kenobi, the finale. A slow Obi-Wan Kenobi finale strains even the Star Wars operatic credulity in favor of weightless fan service. Kenobi is perhaps a dish best served in small portions. After five episodes full of cutting confrontations, episode six feels repetitive and contrived. Characters clash because they need to when they need to. Glimmers of chemistry and Star Wars tropes that come off as endearing rather than weak links crop up here and there. But overall, the final adventure for Leia and Obi-Wan fails to tie the series together. Because it's too busy trying to tie all of the franchise together. Even the sequel trilogy gets a visual echo. At the start of Part 6, Kenobi, Leia, and the Path Rebels are on the run. In order to give them time to escape, Obi-Wan plays on Vader's sense of drama. It's the Jedi he wants. So Obi-Wan baits him into a fight on a rocky planet. Since the Empire is attacking the Rebel ship very slowly and ineffectively, this gives the other time, the others, time to escape. Meanwhile, Riva goes to Tatooine to add Luke to her list of indirect vengeance. Someone tips Owen and Beru off, giving them some time to prepare, while the wounded ex-Inquisitor searches for them. Kenobi and Vader battle it out. They're pretty evenly matched until Vader buries Obi-Wan in a rockfall using the Force. But the Jedi escapes and slashes Vader's mask open. open open, excuse me, prompting a heart-to-heart in which Obi-Wan is both absolved. I'm not your failure, Obi-Wan. You didn't kill Anakin. I did. And cuts ties with who Vader used to be. Then, my friend is truly dead. Back on Tatooine, Reva corners Luke, but can't bring herself to kill him. She turns herself into Obi-Wan instead. Admitting that she didn't want to become the Darth Vader who haunts her memories of being a child during Order 66. The finale wraps up with a crop of cameos and closed loops. Emperor Palpatine tells Vader to focus on the future, 
Kenobi and the Alderaan crew, including Leia, safe at home, look nervously toward what's next for them. The Jedi Master briefly greets young Luke, and Qui-Gon's ghost appears to lead his former apprentice into his contemplative desert fate. The truth is that saying a franchise product relies too much on its source material isn't even particularly novel criticism anymore. But with Obi-Wan Kenobi, the last 20 minutes in particular devote the majority of their time to longing looks at the franchise's past. One of the episode's best moments, the reveal of Hayden Christensen's scarred face behind Darth Vader's mask, already happened in animation with Ahsoka Tano and Vader and Rebels. While that arc took place deep within the show's questionable cameo era, it also mixed and matched characters in inventive ways. Darth Maul attempted to mentor Ezra. Ahsoka mentored original Jedi uh, Kanan Jerus. The Inquisitors were still new. And, and in Obi-Wan Kenobi, the pairings are exactly what you might expect. The exception is Reva. Her choice is powerful but understated. A slow burn of conscience in which she decides not to become the monster haunting her own nightmares. It's great to see the character make her own choice in her own way. It isn't the same old trope where the hero steps in to save the villain. Reva saves herself. We never fully learn when it sank in for her that Luke is Vader's son, as none of the characters ever talk about it outright. But Moses Ingram has great chemistry with Ewan McGregor in the few minutes the two spend on the same side of the force as Morali. I do like that her decision follows on what Obi-Wan said to her at the path base. However, her story also feels like it's searching for a spinoff. And not in a good way. I'd have loved just one more flashback scene about what her dynamic with Vader was when she was younger. About how his hatred for Obi-Wan transferred her, transferred to her, or how her own festered. Ultimately, since we know Luke can't die on the show, Reva is ultimately as toothless as the rest of the threats in this episode. Vader is the only one who really even poses the illusion of a threat, displaying more inventive use of the Force to bury Kenobi underground. The pacing of the rest of the scenes makes the Imperials seem useless. Why does the Star Destroyer struggle so much to capture the zigzagging path ship? Wounded by Vader, Reva struggles against Owen and Beru, but the plot also dictates she can't actually kill anyone she's after. And Beru's insistence that the family stand their ground doesn't work as a moment of fierce empowerment. The audience knows that Reva won't kill the family, and that Beru's later stand against the Empire will be completely ineffective. I can forgive a lot when it comes to Star Wars. Hyperspace moves at the speed of drama. Relative power levels matter less than plot. Characters fighting against the inevitability of the story established in 1977 could still be great. Just look at Rogue One. Removing Leia from the majority of the finale saps up the drama, though. Throughout, I wanted the action integrated more closely into the characters' relationships. What if Vader threatened Leia? What if Reva had a change of heart but didn't know how to express that? Finding herself the wrong end of a blaster for a crime she actually didn't commit. Another example of how Part 6 was better at set pieces and integrating characters, Liam Neeson's cameo as Qui-Gon Jinn's Force Ghost. Kenobi doesn't reach any particular revelation in order to find his old master. Speaking to the dead isn't relevant to the plot. Instead, it's a convenient stinger one last cameo. Likewise, Obi-Wan's hello there floats just above the actual circumstances, paying homage to the film's in a way so shallow it actually weakens Luke's story. 
So the boy... <clears throat> so the boy now has memories of seeing old Ben being chased by a person with a red lightsaber. It's easy to argue that he won't remember any of it in a decade's time, or that nothing strictly contradicts the film. But an argument does not... An argument does not make a good story. What did I like about this episode? Yeah, McGregor continues to excel at acting with his eyes. It's a slightly more naturalistic performance than in the prequel trilogy, and yet does not lose the operatic size a core Star Wars character must have. The final confrontation between Kenobi and Vader had some good dramatic moments. The volume continues to show what it can do with a mix of flat backgrounds and flimsy rocks on a muddy-colored planet, but the seams still show. Like all Star Wars stories, Kenobi still manages to leave the viewer with a sense of potential despite what actually appeared on screen. I'm curious about where Reva's story goes next. After this finale, I need to remind myself Vader can still be scary and not just an echo from better days. So let us know in the comments section below, what did you think about the Kenobi finale review? And what did you think about the series as a whole? I thought the first episode was great. And then it kind of just, after the first one, it, it kind of had its moments. It went up and down. Nothing was really great. They weren't all bad. Some were okay. Some were not okay. I would have rather have a story of Kenobi about Kenobi, not be about bringing a child from point A to point B. Like We already got that with the Mandalorian. Like, let's move on. Let's see. Uh, I want to see how Kenobi lives when he knows he's being hunted in Tatooine. I don't want to see him have to deal with bringing Leia from one place to another. That's all I got to say about Kenobi. So before we go, if you want to support the show, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash cinema gold. Your support helps the channel grow, upgrade our equipment, bring in new hosts, be able to pay them, um, take this show on the road. We'd love to um, record from CinemaCon, Comic-Con, uh, D23, uh, Star Wars Celebration, our dreams are pretty much endless. But you can help make those dreams a reality by buying us a coffee. Whether it's a dollar, five dollars, fifty dollars, twenty dollars. And if you also want to support us, you can also check out our Patreon. We have a page. The link will be in the description. And as always, thank you so much for watching and listening. We will see you next time. You have been watching the Cinema Gold Show. Follow us on Twitter at Cinema Gold Show. Find us on Instagram at The Cinema Gold Show. And on Facebook. Facebook.com slash The Cinema Gold Show. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. 
Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.